results of God's provision for him and the Philippian church. And as we'll see in this passage, God's provision, if we'll allow it, can have tremendous effects on our lives. You know, this is certainly something that's really near and dear to Jessica and I. You know, everywhere we've went, God has provided for us in amazing ways. You know, an amazing story that uh, I was on staff with Crew in 2012, uh, Jessica and I both, and we were loaded. You know, we made $20,000 each, right? So date night was kidney beans, rice, maybe some salt if you were lucky. And uh, I can remember playing basketball in Carmichael Rec Center with a student, and he had a really holy shirt on. Not like a holy Christian one, but one with holes in it. And uh, he had cut in front of me. That was the best I could do on this, <laughs> on this rainy day. Yes, it was going to be tough. Uh, anyway, and uh, he cut in front of me, and my finger got caught in his shirt, and I heard a crunch. And I looked down, and my finger looked like a K. So I was trying to play it off all cool, you know, you know, like, this isn't bad. Y'all keep playing, and I'll come back later. But all of a sudden, uh, black started appearing in the perimeter of my vision. And I sat down, and a lady was shoving me Capri Suns and animal crackers, telling me, it's going to be all right, Jordan. So I rushed out of there, went to urgent care. He couldn't do anything about it. And then uh, so I went to uh, the emergency room. He cracked it back in. I'm not going to tell the rest of that story because I'll get nauseous. But uh, a couple weeks later, the bill came, and it was $3,002.11. I was like, I just spent 15% of my annual income on a pickup basketball game. So I began to you know, be anxious. And uh, a week later, unsolicited, a partner from Western, Western North Carolina who had given to her a crew ministry. There's no way he knew about this. Uh, there's no way uh, nobody told him, you know, because I hadn't shared the bill with anyone. Uh, he sent me a check for $3,000. Now, he was $2.11 short. It would have been really cooler if he nailed it. Uh, but uh, yeah, God provided for us, and it was, uh, it was hugely significant uh, for our lives and trusting God's provision. And time would fail uh, to talk about how God's provided for us in other areas uh, for you know, our, our wedding uh, or adoption um, and, and, and certainly more. God has provided our needs uh, that day and in many other days, and he's done so every day uh, since. And that's had an effect on our lives when it comes to trusting God for provision in the future. And in part, that's what Paul's getting at in this passage, right? He's provided for Paul, and he wants the church of Philippi to uh, trust that he's going to provide for them uh, in the future. And there's some other things, but that's the big idea for today. And in Philippians 4, 10 to 23, which, side note, this is our last sermon in the book of Philippians, which is wild. Um, yeah, praise God for that. But uh, in this passage, we see three things. First, God will supply our needs in Jesus. Second, God will provide us contentment or satisfaction or true happiness in every season of life. And then lastly, uh, God will sustain us by his transforming uh, grace. Uh, so number one, let's get to it. Uh, God will supply all of our needs in Jesus. We get this in verse 10 and then verses uh, 14 to 19. Look back at your Bibles with me. In verse 10, God's word says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly because once again you renewed your care for me. You were, in fact, concerned about me but lacked opportunity to show it. In the verse 14 to, uh, to 16, still you did very well, or you did well by partnering with me in my hardship. And you, and you Philippians know that, I, that in the early days of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except for you alone. For even in Thessalonica, Thessalonica you sent gifts for my needs, several times. Uh, Paul begins in verse 10 by reminding the Philippian church of something. Right? He's reiterating his gratitude for the gift that they sent him through Epaphroditus. And Paul says for the ninth time in this letter, and final time in this letter, that he is rejoicing. And in this moment, it's because of their partnership with him in the gospel. Now, as a reminder, Paul's in a Roman prison when he writes this. Do I need to move something, Jordan? Oh, yeah. Um, as a reminder, Paul's in a Roman prison uh, when he writes this. 
And the only way that he would have his basic provisions met was if uh, somebody on the outside would give to uh, provide for his needs. And the Philippian church did that, right? They provided financial support that he needed to have his basic needs met in prison and continue to do gospel ministry. But in addition to that, he says that he rejoiced in the Lord, reiterating his uh, deep connection with the church of Philippi. Right? He loved these people. You know, from last week's, uh, or two weeks ago's sermon, he says uh, that he deeply cared for, for them. They were his joy and his crown. And uh, what he's re- reiterating here is that uh, he is deeply connected them, to them through Jesus, right? They collectively belong to the Lord and to one another. You know, in addition, uh, Paul tells us in verse 10 that the gift that he received from Epaphroditus was not the first time the church of Philippi supported him. Right, he says, um, for a season, they were unable to support him. We're not sure why. You know, maybe uh, they were unaware of his needs or uh, maybe something else. But they had renewed, the, the passage says, their care for him. And he reminds them of their support uh, for him throughout his gospel ministry. Right? They say, uh, he says that he supported, they supported him when he left Macedonia and when he arrived in Thessalonica. And then he ends in verse 16 by saying that they have given to him several times. Right, Paul is returning to the reality that the, Philippian, the Philippians are partners with him in the work that God has called him to do. And he's trying his best to communicate to them that their generosity had had, had external effects. Right? They had given to Paul, and this had had external effects in Rome. And because they had gave, the gospel was spreading to the ends of the earth. And I want to take some time this morning to remind you, King Stable Church, of the exact same thing. Right? You are giving, and it is having external effects in our city. Look around you. You know, God is using you to do all of this that you see. The connection stable outside, all the coffee that we're sipping on, right? The caution, the caution slippery when wet signs as you entered this morning, the Welch's grape juice that we're about to have for communion, this Wayfair 70% off uh, pulpit that I'm standing at, extra diapers just in case uh, a baby has a mid-sermon blowout, you know, at the uh, little changing table, right? You have provided all of this through your generosity, and God is using you uh, in ways uh, that, you, uh, that we can't, can't even ask or imagine. You know, I think of last week as uh, we've labored together, uh, we had our uh, uh, first baptisms. And look at these photos. Like you played a part. Yeah, praise the Lord. Yeah, yeah, uh, six people. Yeah, place their, yeah, hallelujah. And this is a big deal, right? This is a big deal for folks who are publicly proclaiming that they know Jesus. You know, some churches have existed for 20 years without any baptisms. And because of your grace and God's mercy, and uh, your investment in sacrificial giving. Like, we've already seen six people uh, baptized. It's incredible. You know, I think of last week, as we were all laboring to plant a church together, right, our, our core team, there was a college student who came last week, first time, uh, and he grabbed me after uh, service, and he asked if we could meet because he had questions about Jesus. And uh, we spent, um, I think it was uh, Monday afternoon, 90 minutes, him just drilling me with phenomenal questions. You know, if, if the... Um, if the Bible's written by man, how can we trust it? If uh, you really believe that Jesus resurrected, if God is good, uh, why is there uh, pain and suffering in the world? Like, if you've got those questions, Jordan at kingstablenc.com, I'd love to answer them. Um, and we're hanging out, and I got to share the gospel with him in our office on a whiteboard, God, man, Christ response, and he's tracking with me, right? He's not checked out, and I'm convinced, like, he's right there. He's going home for uh, Christmas break, but I'm convinced he's going to come back uh, a follower of Jesus. And this is because of you. It really is. Uh, you your, your donations pay for the rent uh, of this building that he can come and watch people worship 
Jesus. Uh, you paid for the Knowing God Personally booklet, which is just a little gospel track that I sent him as he went home, uh, that I sent with him as he went home for Christmas break. Uh, you paid for the Making Sense of God book uh, by Tim Keller. It's a phenomenal book for uh, doubters and seekers that I was able to give him. Uh, you paid rent for our office. Uh, God, through you, uh, used you to pay for the whiteboard and markers that I was explaining the gospel through, right? Your giving is having external effects. And the last thing I would say is the hundreds uh, and hundreds of uh, food drive items that you provided for this school. Like, the, their whole conference table was full, and this wasn't even all of it, right, to, to make sure that uh, no child goes home uh, without food. You know, so these are the external effects of your giving. I want to remind you, just like uh, Paul did, uh, the Church of Philippi, you're having an impact, right? The gospel is going forward through our little church because of your generosity. But the effect of the Philippians wasn't only external, was it? Look at verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek that the profit that is increasing to your account. Verse 18. I've received everything in full, and I have an abundance. I'm fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Right, Paul begins in verse 17 by telling them that he's not requesting more financial aid. That's what he means when he says, not that I seek the gift. And in verse 18, he, he assures them that he has all that he needs and in abundance. Right, Paul is saying that he is provided for, but in two places in this passage, he points to their own personal internal benefit of giving. He points to the, the internal benefit of uh, being generous. Right? He wants them uh, to receive the fulfillment that comes from giving and to realize their provisions for his gospel ministry is a gift that pleases their Father who is in heaven. Now remember from uh, chapter 1, verse 25, Paul is concerned about several things, but ultimately for the Philippians, he is concerned for their progress and joy in the faith. Simply put, Paul just wants to see them grow. Right? He wants to see them uh, go from less mature in Christ to more mature in Christ. And all verse uh, 17 is saying is that they're giving is personally beneficial because it grows them, right? For anybody to give to anything, it takes trust in God, right? We're putting a portion of our income away and trusting him to provide in the midst of that uh, as we continue uh, to have needs ourselves. And verse 17 is, in addition to saying that uh, giving is an indication of spiritual health and growth. And when Paul sees they are giving, it gives him confidence and encouragement for his heart because he knows that they are growing in their maturity in Jesus. Now, Giving isn't the only measure of spiritual maturity. Hear me say that again. Giving is not the only measure of spiritual maturity, but it is a significant one. For our King Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6, where our, where our uh, treasure is, there our heart will be also. And uh, practices, practicing the discipline of generosity uh, certainly takes time to develop. It certainly has in my own life. You know, I think of um, the famous quote from Martin Luther. He says, uh, there are three conversions necessary for the Christian life, the heart, the mind, and the purse. And in my experience, both personally and pastorally, it's usually in that order. In addition, uh, verse 18 says that uh, giving uh, is a way for us to offer worship to our Father, and when we do it, it pleases Him. Now, I want to pause right here, because I really want to unpack briefly what it means to please God. If you've been hanging out with us for the 12 weeks of our soft launch, you know uh, that I preach that you are justified by faith alone in Christ alone and uh, 100% because of what he has done and 0% because of what you have done for him. So you might ask, well, Jordan, you've taught me that I'm reconciled to God by faith, in the, by faith alone, in Christ alone, and that God is perfectly pleased with me in Jesus. So if God is perfectly pleased with me in Jesus, then why would Paul call me to live a life that's pleasing to God? Well, I'd say this. It is true that we are declared righteous and forgiven by God because of Jesus' work and his work alone. 
The theological phrase for this is that we are justified or declared righteous by faith alone before God. Right? All of Jesus' work, his uh, sinless perfection, is credited to our account, and all of our sin is placed onto Jesus uh, on the cross. We receive uh, Jesus' credited righteousness by faith and faith alone, and he takes all of our sin and absorbs the wrath of God on the cross. The theological word for this is imputation. We'll get a little nerdy this morning, justification by faith alone, imputation. And simultaneously, though, to those uh, theological truths of justification and imputation, simultaneously we grow in spiritual maturity uh, by faith alone through walking with Jesus and obeying him more and more each day. And what this, what this leads to is his uh, freely credited righteousness uh, on our behalf leads us to practical daily righteousness in our own lives. You know, John Piper explains this a lot better than I uh, do. This is the way he says. Now, the fact that God uh, reckons us to be perfect in Christ and thus acceptable to him in his holiness does not mean that God is willing to leave us in a condition embattled by sin where we can't fully enjoy him forever. Because that's what sin does. It prevents us from enjoying God. The fact that God accepts us fully in Christ means he is fully committed to making us fully happy forever, which means that he is displeased with anything short of our joyful perfection in attitude and heart and mind and body, because any imperfection is a dishonor to his worth and a diminishment of our joy. God cannot, as a justifying God, be indifferent to our everlasting happiness, which means being indifferent to our everlasting holiness. He cannot. That's what justification means. Guarantees. So some practical examples. If you're here this morning and you have faith and trust in Jesus and you have an anger problem, it's forgiven because of the blood and the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That is forgiven. But it does please Jesus when we confess that problem to a trusted friend and take steps to, to change, to repent. So if you're here today and you have faith and trust in Jesus and you're struggling with an addiction, that is forgiven. There is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, but Jesus certainly wants us to confess and forsake that addiction so that we can experience the fulfillment and the, and the enjoyment and the freedom that life with Christ provides for us. If you're here and you have faith and trust in Jesus, and just this week you cheated on the exam, I know we got a bunch of college students, that is forgiven because of the blood of Jesus. But Jesus doesn't want you to idolize your grades to the point of compromising your integrity. So I would tell you as your pastor, go, confess to your teacher, take the zero. For when you get to the end of your life, you'll be more fulfilled in trusting in Jesus and following his ways than in following your own. And of course, in, in this passage, Philippians chapter 4 is talking about generosity. With regard to generosity, when we obey Jesus by giving, we're not putting God in our debt. But there's nothing we could do to put God in our debt. He's provided everything for us. Rather, we are trusting King Jesus' words when he tells us in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Right? Jesus says it's better to give, and the Philippians believe that. And when they trusted that, and when we trust that, it pleases their Father in heaven. And as they did, what does Paul promise? Look back at your Bibles in verses 19 and 20. As they're sacrificially given, what does Paul promise? He says, my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And then he uh, just transitions to doxology. He says, now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So verse 19 is not a promise of health or wealth or prosperity if you give. But it is a promise that God will provide exactly what you need for your enjoyment in him, which may mean, uh, which, uh, uh, may mean that we need less income for a season of life. Right? Giving may mean significant financial strain, but in the end, 
God's word promises that we always will have what we need, which in this passage is a foundational, deep, and abiding relationship with Jesus. So application here. How do we apply this uh, first portion? Well, I would call us to remember. To remember. Just like I remembered my, you know, K-shaped finger and God's provision uh, in that time, I would call you to remember God's provision for you and to communicate gratitude to God uh, for uh, those who he's provided uh, through. You know, there's a silly little exercise that I'm sure you've heard of around Thanksgiving, but uh, I've done it. Um, and to list 100 things you're thankful for is a great practice uh, for us. Uh, and I, th- I, th- I think of this quote by Thomas uh, Watson in, in thinking of that uh, exercise to write down 100 things. Listen to this. God's kindness is apt quickly to slip out of our memory. We deal with, our, uh, with God's mercies as, as with flowers. When they're fresh, we smell them and, and put them to our bosom. But uh, within a while, we throw them away and mind them no more. I don't want the things that God has done in our life, in my life, in your life, to be like flowers, right? You bring them home uh, for a week, and then they start getting brown, and you just throw them away. Right? I want you to remember how God has provided for you. Uh, secondly, uh, to apply this, I would, I would encourage you to remember it's a privilege to give, right? Um, to have us any sort of salary and income, regardless of the amount, is a great blessing from God. Right, and to be able to participate in the Great Commission through giving is a massive honor. Right? We get to be a part of seeing people follow Jesus through our giving. And the last thing I, I would challenge you, um, you know, for us as a church, we're doing great uh, in terms of your giving. So I don't, I don't have this big ask, but I always, uh, my, my methodology as a pastor is if it's in the text, we're going to talk about it. <laughs> and if it's not in the text, we're not going to talk about it. And he's talking about giving. So I want to challenge you uh, with this. We will never mature in our trust and dependence on Jesus unless we develop a discipline of giving. We will never mature to our fullest potential in our trust and dependence upon Jesus unless we develop a discipline of giving. So if you're able to give and you aren't giving, you're missing out on what God has for you, on how God wants you to grow spiritually. Right? Verse 17 says, seek the profit that increases to your account. He wants you to grow up. Trust Jesus is better to give than to receive. Number one, uh, God will supply all of our needs uh, in Jesus. We saw that in verse 10, 14 to 19, and then two, uh, secondly, God will provide us contentment in every season. Look back at your Bibles in verses 11 to 13. God's word says, I don't say this out of need, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know how to make do with a little. I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I'm able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Right, Paul begins verse 10 by thanking the Philippians for their provision. But here, he reminds them that regardless of their circumstances, he has learned how to be content. So what does content mean? Well, to be, to be content simply means uh, a state of peaceful happiness or to be fully and truly satisfied. You know, I had a, a friend in college who used to wear this shirt every Monday. Uh, said, happiness is a positive cash flow. Right? And we know that's not true. We know it's not true. Uh, but we believe it, especially as Americans. Right, in a 2002, uh, or 2022, rather, Gallup poll, uh, only two out of five Americans say they're truly content, and one out of four say they're truly happy in life. And this is true even though America is one of the most prosperous country, countries in the history of the world. Predominantly for us, in our context, uh, contentment has evaded us. So what do we do? What do we do? How do we, how, how do we become truly content? Well, in this passage, there's a verb that's repeated twice in verses 11 to uh, 13. Did you catch it? Look back with me. He says, I don't say this out of need, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. And then uh, down in verse 12b, in any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret 
of being content. Right, Paul is teaching that uh, contentedness is um, a skill that is learned and a state of being that is possible regardless what's in our bank accounts, uh, regardless how much food is in our fridge, or regardless whatever circumstances are going on in our life. Right, and Paul certainly had seasons of both, right? Uh, he certainly had seasons of need and seasons of plenty. And we can infer um, seasons of plenty from his time in Acts chapter 16. If you remember from Acts chapter, Acts chapter 16, this is the very ser- uh, first sermon in our book of Philippians uh, study, but um, he runs into this lady named Lydia, and she becomes a follower of Jesus, and she immediately brings uh, Paul into uh, her home. Now, if you remember about Lydia, she's a dealer of purple cloth, which means she's loaded uh, in that time, and she probably wined and dined him, right? This was probably a season of plenty for Paul. But in addition to that, we know that Paul had seasons of need as well. All right, well, we're, we can be 100% sure of this. Yeah, where is Paul currently? He's in a Roman prison, right? He's in a season of need. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 11, uh, we find that he was shipwrecked and robbed and slept in the cold often. In uh, 1 Corinthians 4, uh, we see that there was a time where uh, Paul was homeless, right? Paul says in both uh, scenarios, through plenty or abundance and need, he learned to be satisfied. But if you're like me, we struggle in both of these seasons to be content. I struggle with contentedness uh, when things are going really great and uh, when things are going really hard. And the struggle to be content is definitely experienced in the hearts of every single individual in this room, regardless of what season you're in, or regardless of even well, where you are spiritually. But Paul is content in both. Paul is content in both plenty and need, and we are discontent in both seasons of plenty and seasons of need. So how do, how do we find contentment in both of these? Well, the first thing I would say is uh, in seasons of plenty, a new job, a new house, a new car, a new relationship, acknowledge that we're still longing for the next thing pretty often, right? We get that one thing, the big house, the promotion, the spouse, uh, maybe even a football championship, and as soon as the last piece of confetti falls from the celebration, we're left wondering what will come next season, right? We're, we're, we're left with a feeling that something is still missing. You know, in speaking of uh, seasons of plenty, Charles, uh, Charles Spurgeon famously said, you say, if I had a little more, I should be very satisfied, but you make a mistake. Uh, if you are not content with what you have, you would not be satisfied if it were doubled. If you are not content with what you have, you would not be satisfied if it were doubled. I know that's true in my own heart. Is that not true in the lives of our friends uh, in, in our city? Right? And I want to say as a little aside, you know, in a sermon there's always so many places to add disclaimers and clarifications, but I want to add an aside that uh, nothing's wrong with ambition. Right? Nothing's wrong, wrong with uh, working hard to get to the next place in work or, or, or uh, you know, in your child's development or you know, uh, helping your uh, son hit a free throw with greater accuracy than he did in, in the previous week. Right? Ambition's not bad, but it's con- it, the, the aim here is contentedness regardless of the results. Right? And, and, and we don't see this so often in our own lives and in the lives of people uh, in our city. Right? Who do you know who is truly f- fulfilled by the things of th- this world without Jesus? Now, I'm not talking about what their social media looks like, because we know everybody puts their best foot forward on there. But who is truly happy, regardless of circumstance? You know, I can remember uh, C.S. Lewis speaking of the reality of having plenty, and uh, plenty not satisfying us. He says this, Most people, if they really learn to look into their their own heart, would know uh, that they do want, and want acutely, something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that, uh, that this world offers to give it let me start there. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never keep their promise. The, lo- the longings which arise uh, in us when we first fall in love or first think of a foreign country 
or first take up some subject that excites us are longings which no marriage, no travel, no learning can ever really satisfy. And this is really important here. I'm not speaking uh, of what the world would ordinarily call uh, what the world would ordinarily be called unsuccessful marriages or failures or holidays and so on. I'm speaking of the very best possible ones. There is always something uh, we have grasped at, grasped at. There's always something in that first moment of longing but fades away in the reality. The spouse may a good, be a good spouse. The scenery has been excellent. It turned out to be a good job, but it evaded us. Right? We are discontent in seasons of plenty, but also uh, we are discontent in seasons of need. Right, Paul says that he knows how to make do uh, with a little. Right, Paul knows how to be content even when he's broke. Right, the other side of our struggle for contentment is believing that we'll always be stuck in a season of little or need forever. Right, that leads to a lack of fulfillment as well because we begin to believe that there's no hope for us or there's no exit uh, in, in the future out of our current set of circumstances. Right, we believe that uh, maybe God has uh, forgotten us, that there's no uh, change coming in the future. But that's not true either, right? What did Paul know that he was able to live content in seasons of need? That's the question for us. What did Paul know that he was able to live content in seasons of need? Well, Paul tells us in verse 13. Look back at your Bibles in verse 13. He says, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, what does this mean? Well, let's start by what it doesn't mean. This uh, verse doesn't mean that we can do absolutely anything that we place or set our hearts to. Right, this verse has been misused to take on a lot of projects and, you know, for folks uh, uh, for decades and decades and decades. You know, an illustration of me doing this personally, in uh, my sophomore year in college, I really set my mind, I read uh, Philippians 4.13, and I was like, I can do all things through Christ who, who uh, strengthens me, so I want to dunk. So if you're looking at me and guessing how tall I am, uh, I'm five foot nine and a little bit, so I got on a... Uh, uh, my, my little uh, Amazon, I was like, Dunkin' Shoes to help me dunk. So I found these right here uh, on, the, on the right. They like kind of keep you up on your, you know, your calves to engage them all the time. So you walk around the gym looking like a buffoon, and uh, it's supposed to help you jump more. And I started doing the plyo boxes, if that's what they're called, where you kind of jump and try to clear it, and you do that 100 times. And then I got on, uh, online, and I Googled like dunk calculator. Like, okay, if I'm five foot nine, how high do I need to jump in order to be able to dunk? And the dunk calculator told me I needed to dunk, uh, be able to jump 46 inches. So after working all, all semester with these goofy shoes and the plyo boxes and everything else, I was able to jump 26 inches. So unless the NBA decides uh, to lower the goals to seven foot, I, am, I cannot do all things through, uh, through Christ who strengthens me, right? So this isn't just an application for us to be able to do whatever we want to do at any time, right? Um, what, this, what this truly means is that Christ is enough in every season. Now, this doesn't mean we can do anything we want to do, but this does mean that Christ is enough for Paul and for me in every season. You know, if you survey the entire New Testament, Paul rarely even uh, prays uh, for a change of circumstances. It's okay to pray for a change of circumstances, but Paul rarely does that. Instead, Paul usually prays for his people that they would treasure and love and experience the sufficiency of Jesus regardless of what's going on in the world. I'll repeat that. Paul usually prays for his people that they would treasure and love and experience the sufficiency of Jesus regardless of what's going on in their own lives or in the world, right? Jesus is enough for Paul in all situations, and that's what Paul wants for the church of Philippi, and that's what Paul wants for you in seasons when you can dunk and seasons when you come up 20 inches short, 
Right? Paul knows the secret of contentment. You know, if you catch that in that passage, verses 11 to 13, he says, contentment is a secret. If you get it, it will separate your whole life from uh, those of your coworkers and neighbors and friends. Paul knows the secret of contentment, which is this. If we have Jesus, we have everything. Paul knows the secret of contentment. If we have Jesus, we have everything. On our best days, when all the provisions that the world can offer are met, in the end, we know that those things will leave us empty and wanting more. So when the economy is booming and the S&P 500 is crushing it, he remembers that Jesus, you alone are my hope. In addition to that, on days when he feels hopeless, like there's no reason for living, he knows that Jesus Christ lifts him up out of the pit of despair because of the worth and dignity and purpose Paul has been granted through the forgiveness that Jesus freely offers us, right? For you, if you're in a season of need, no day is too dark. No situation is too hopeless because in Jesus, we have everything we need. Paul says in verse 13, I'm able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Christ is enough regardless of circumstance. So how do you apply this? Well, I would encourage you to preach to yourself. Preach to yourself. Christ is enough. Jesus is sufficient for me. Remember this phrase, if you don't remember anything else. For this, I have Jesus. For this, I have Jesus. In seasons of plenty and in seasons of need. I know uh, several of us in the room are in seasons of plenty. A new job, a new house. You just got accepted to med school. Uh, uh, Kids here uh, whose uh, children just got accepted to the the JV uh, volleyball team. Right? You're in seasons of plenty. And even in those seasons of plenty, Jesus is enough for you. Right? Jesus is the only thing that's going to satisfy you, not those other things. And then in seasons of need, in our church just right here, uh, we have individuals who have been in wrecks, who've experienced massive disappointments, uh, individuals who couldn't come to church because their uh, back was aching. Uh, we have individuals whose children didn't make the team. Uh, we have a couple right now, uh, Curry and Mew, who are stuck in Thailand because of this long like immigration hiccup that they're having. For them, in that moment, Christ is enough. For this, I have Jesus. You know, a couple questions that the commentary I read asked about this. Do we love Jesus only when our circumstances are nice? Do we love Jesus only when our circumstances are nice? Or is Jesus my life and substance regardless of circumstances? When we learn this, again, contentment is a learned skill. We can enjoy success and plenty, of seasons of want, knowing that Jesus is enough. Number one, God will supply all of our needs. In Jesus, we've got that in verse uh, 10 and then 14 and 19. Two, uh, God will provide us contentment in every season. We saw that in verses uh, 11 to 13. And lastly, for this morning, God will sustain us by his transforming grace. Look back at your Bibles in verses 21 to 23. Uh, Verse 21 says, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send you greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. So Paul finishes his letter by reiterating his personal care and love for his people by saying, greet every saint, right? He wants everybody in the church of Philippi to know his love and devotion to them. And in verse 22, we see Jesus' grace always transforms people when it's faithfully proclaimed. That's what verse 22 means when he says, um, uh, those in Caesar's household, right? The new believers in Rome, remember Paul's uh, in prison in Rome, the new believers in Rome, whom Paul was able to share with because of the Philippians' gift, they say, Send our thanksgiving. The Romans say hello, Paul says. And lastly, in verse 23, Paul ends uh, where he began in verse uh, 2 of chapter 1. Paul begins the, the book of Philippians saying, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he ends his letter with the same note. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. In King's Table Church, I'm praying that the grace that we've covered in this letter will have the same effect on us as it had on the church of Philippi and on those in Rome, that it would transform us. 
right, in seasons of need, in seasons of plenty, that we would remember that we have Jesus, and as long as we have him, we have everything we need. And because of Jesus, we'll, we'll be able to say the things that Paul said in the letter to Philippians. We'll be able to say in chapter 1, verse 21 with him, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We'll be able to pray from chapter 1, verse 27, Jesus, let my manner of my life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. From chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, we'll be able to live doing nothing from selfish ambition, but in humility we'll be able to count others as more significant than ourselves. From chapter 2, verses 5 to 11, we'll depend on God to reflect the life of Christ, who, uh, uh, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. I don't know about you, I'm like, help me, King Jesus, obey you the way you obeyed your father, obedient to the point of death. And I want us to fight like Paul, right, from uh, chapter 2, verses uh, 12 to 13, where he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it's God who works uh, in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Right? I don't want to be the same today uh, or, or six weeks from now that I am today. Right? I want to grow. I want to work hard to grow in Christian maturity. What about uh, receiving daily the gospel from chapter uh, 3, verses 8 and 9? My favorite passage from this whole book where Paul says that he wants to gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of his own that comes through the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. And as we do that, we remember that one thing I do, I forget what lies behind from chapter 3, verse 13, and I strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. And then from chapter 3, verse 20, we cling to this that our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, Jesus Christ our Lord. And then when suffering comes, King's Table, and it will, it will. From uh, uh, Philippians uh, 4, verse 4, we, we say together, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say again, rejoice. And in doing that, we're taking all of our anxieties to Jesus and doing exactly what he told us to do in chapter 4, to not be anxious about anything, but rather, uh, in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, we let our requests be made known to God. And as we're doing this, we trust, uh, chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So that in chapter 4, verse 11, we can say with Paul, I've learned to be content, whatever the situations that surround me. And then that'll allow us to be, our, uh, or rather, that'll allow our anthem to be verse 13 from this passage. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Dear friends, my great hope uh, for this letter is that we wouldn't forget it, right? That you wouldn't forget the letter of Philippians, not because our sermons are great, uh, but because this book of the Bible is incredible. Right? I often pray that you'd leave here not thinking that I'm a great preacher, but that Jesus is a great Savior. And that's my hope for the book of Philippians. And as we move forward to uh, you know, publicly launching in a couple uh, weeks, I want to strive together to be a Philippian church, right? one that reflects the unity of Paul and his church, one that strives to take the gospel to our Rome, right? which is Raleigh, Cary, and North Garner right now. I want to take the gospel there. And then lastly, and finally, to live so captivated by the grace of Jesus that our entire life is defined by our love for him and his people. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the book of Philippians. It's a treasure, Lord. And uh, I can't believe I got the privilege to preach entirely through it. Uh, Father, thank you for sparing my life. Uh, Lord, many men, uh, many individuals don't make it to 34. So it's a grace to live. And I know, uh, Father, from Psalm chapter 4, 
Uh, we lie down asleep and awake because you sustained us. So, Father, it's just a privilege. It's a huge privilege to spend time in your word and um, just really grateful for the book of Philippians and how much it's encouraged my own heart and uh, mind and life. I pray the same would be true for the followers of Jesus in the room. God, I can't do that. <laughs> uh, you can, though, through your Spirit's power. I, you, you can take the book of Philippians and infuse it to our little church plant for a foundation that will last for decades and decades and decades to come. So as we continue to unpack these things in community group, I pray that we would grow deep roots, deep down into healthy soil that would help us be the type of church that you've called us to be, one who loves you and walks with you and treasures you, regardless of opposition, who's content in seasons of plenty and seasons of need, that no matter what comes in life, we say, for this I have Jesus, and that Jesus, you'd be real to us and sweet to us, so much so that our neighbors and coworkers and friends would be like, I've got to have this king that they have. I've got to know this God that they have. Again, Father, I can't do that, but you can. Uh, for anyone in the room, Lord, who can hear my voice, they'd say, I'm not a believer. I don't believe in Jesus. Got to pray over these next two songs. You do the miraculous, just like you did for me. It's a miracle when anybody comes to follow Jesus, that you'd save them, that they'd come home and begin to experience the commitment, uh, the contentment, rather, that you promise in this passage. Father, we love you. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Mm-hmm.